Welcome to Design for Joy, the radio ministry of Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California, celebrating the fact that God's people are designed for the joyful Christian life. We are glad that you could join us for today's broadcast with our pastor and teacher, Dr. Mark Mafucci. And now, let's go to the teaching for today. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 6. That's our passage today. Luke chapter 6, we're looking at outrageous truths, truths that are part of the Christian experience that the world looks at and just can't quite wrap their head around. Today, the truth is there's power in the golden rule. Here's the key concept for this morning. Kindness makes a difference. Kindness makes a difference. How would you define kindness? Would it not be doing to others what you would have them do to you? That's the golden rule. And that golden rule that comes from the very lips of Jesus in the passage we look at today has infiltrated our culture. People all around us who don't ever read the Bible, they know the golden rule. The golden rule is not a program for random acts of kindness when you feel like it or when it comes easy. When the mood hits you or you feel charitable, the golden rule is to be the program that is our ongoing day in, day out lifestyle by which we live in relationships, in the real ups and downs of relationships. Do what you would want others to do, but it's not easy. Maybe you've heard the story about the guys who were coming in off their round of golf and as they were getting changed in the locker room of their club there, a uh, cell phone went off, and it was uh, located right, sitting right on the, the, the bench. And a man picked up the cell phone, flipped it open, and this was the conversation that ensued. Hello? Honey, it's me. I'm at the mall two blocks away from the club, and I saw this beautiful mink coat, and I wonder, it's absolutely gorgeous. Can I get it? It's just $1,500. Well, all right, if you like it that much, go ahead. Thanks. And by the way, I stopped by the Mercedes dealership and saw the new models. There's one there that I absolutely loved. I spoke with the salesman, and he said he could give it to us for $60,000. Well, okay. But for that price, make sure you get all the options. Great. And listen, before we hang up, there's something else. I got a call from the real estate agent this morning. Remember that house that we looked at last year, the one by the beach that had the pool? Well, it's back for sale again. It's going to be a steal at $450,000. Can I get it? Well, all right. Make an offer for four twenty dollars and see what they say. Okay. See you later. Bye. Bye. Click. Does anyone know whose phone this is? <laughs> now, that was not kind. If somebody found his phone, I'm sure you wouldn't want them to do that. Do what you would want others to do. Luke chapter 6, start our reading in verse 27. I tell you who hear me, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's the golden rule. 
Now, there are some who would point out to us that the golden rule is not unique to Christianity, that other religions contain a version of the golden rule also, and that's true. But I want to read some of them, and I want you to listen for the difference. Confucius was asked, is there one word that will serve as a rule for the practice of life? And his response, is it not reciprocity? What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. The Greek philosophers wrote, what angers you when you suffer it at the hands of others, do not do to others. The author of the Jewish book Tobit wrote, what thou hatest to no man do. Do you see the difference? All of those statements are worded negatively. All of those statements tell us what not to do to other people. At best, they come off this way. I'm not going to do bad stuff for, to you because I don't want you to do bad stuff to me. All of those statements are self-protective. It is Jesus alone who takes the next step. Jesus alone who asks us, his followers, to be caring and compassionate in a proactive way. Take it upon yourself to get involved and to do the good for others that you wish they would do for you. It's not a passive approach. It is active. One author sums it up this way. The negative approach says, if you own a car, make sure you don't run anybody over. The positive approach says, if you own a car, see if the people around you need a ride. Help them out and get involved. Make yourself available. These are blockbuster ideas that come from Jesus Christ. And it all starts in the context of conflict. He says in verse 27, love your enemies. Imagine what the world would be like if everybody lived like this. We would not need to lock our doors. We would not worry about crime or violence. We could shake hands on a business deal and know that it would be done. Let's draw it in a little closer. Imagine what it would be like in the city of Stockton if the approximately 1,500 people that are on our campus this morning would live like this. Imagine the ripple effects of change that would fan out throughout our city. Why does it not happen? First of all, because we do not think with the golden rule in mind. We do not think of the other person's needs, particularly when we are at odds with them. What we need to do is recalibrate the way that we think and see one another through, through heaven's eyes. For God sees every one of us, every person you've ever met, he sees as valuable and created in his image. He sees every person you've ever met as worth dying for. He doesn't see losers or lost causes. He sees each person through the filter of grace. Even though every one of us start out as his enemies, he already loves us even in the state of being his enemy. And he calls us to respond to mercy. Don't forget, Jesus is giving us instructions here for the context of when we meet enemies. The problem is when we are at odds with another person, when we're thinking of somebody else as an enemy, we don't even think of them as a person, just as the problem, the issue, the enemy. When was the last time you struggled with somebody in a relationship? 
the last time you were really at odds with somebody? How often in that time period did your mind wander to, I wonder what their family life is like. I wonder what kind of entertainment they enjoy. I wonder if they have pets or if they have hobbies or if they like sports. Probably not at all. Because those are humanizing thoughts. And when we are in conflict with other people, we tend not to think humanizing thoughts about them. But Jesus does. And he loves them. USA Today Online in 2005 reported a story that came from Baghdad, Iraq, about a medic named Steve Tishner, or something close to that. I can't pronounce his last name, but, but let's call him Medic Steve. Medic Steve was out on patrol with his unit, and they were walking through the streets of Iraq. And a sniper's bullet hit Medic Steve right in the chest. It just rang out without warning, and man, he was on his back in the middle of that dusty street. From everybody looking at the situation, they would have considered him dead. But his protective vest saved his life. But he was groaning as he was laying in the dust. Immediately, the, the unit fanned out to find that sniper. Some guys stayed with him. They pulled him to the side of the road, and they started to tend to his needs. And the other people in the unit found that sniper almost immediately. And the reason they found him so fast, because he was gravely wounded himself already. And when Medic Steve heard that, he got up from the dust, he went over to where the sniper was, and he treated his wounds and saved his life. When he was asked about that later, how he saved the life of the guy who just literally minutes before that had his heart in his sights. Medic Steve said, well... I knew he was a person, and probably a husband and a father, and he has value too. He saw value in that life, and so he helped him, even though an enemy. And we need to think that way as well. There's value in that person, even though in this moment we're at odds. And then act in ways that show the value of people. We are told in scriptures to avoid times of strife and heartache and difficulty, if possible, to do our best to create situations of peace. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says this, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's a challenge, to work to be peacemakers in our relationships and in our world. But it also is a statement of reality that shows us sometimes it will not depend on us. Sometimes it will not be possible. Sometimes we will be in a situation that we might call another an enemy. And that is when the words of Jesus kick in. Love your enemies. Not only there does the golden rule apply, but particularly there. And he gives us a, a list of things that we are to remem remember to do. Act actions that we are to take in certain situations. Now, I want you to understand what that list is. That list is not a list of commandments. The actions that Jesus describes are not laws. They're not rules. They are examples. They are illustrations. He's saying to us, when you have the kind of character that conforms to the character of God and you're living according to the golden rule, this is the kind of thing that will happen in your life. And the first thing he says is you will do good to those who hate you. 
Now, it's easy to do good to those who love you. Because when you start to imagine what you can do that's good for those who love you, you imagine the joy that you will bring into their life. You imagine their response. You begin to feel and experience in advance the, the happiness of making someone you love happy. Maybe it's a gift or an act of service, and, and you know they will be blessed by it. For instance, I think as I'm walking through the grocery store, won't Sylvia be pleased if I buy her some flowers and, and bring these flowers home so that we, when she comes home, she will see that I was thinking about her in advance? Won't she be pleased to see that I love her and this is an expression of my love to her? And won't she have joy? And when she has joy, won't I have joy as well? You see, there is a reward cycle that happens when you do good to those who love you. You are rewarded back by the thanks and the joy that they experience. But with an enemy, it's very different. With an enemy, you don't expect joy. You do something good and maybe they'll just drop it on the floor. You don't, you don't, you don't know that, that you will see joy or get it back. And so we don't do those good things. Go down to verse 35. He says, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Jesus says, listen, the reward cycle is still there, but you have to trust that God will be the one to give you the reward. It won't be the enemy. It won't be the one that you're at odds with, at least not at first. But when you act like a son or daughter of the Most High God, the one who is gracious to all, when you live out the family characteristics of this spiritual family, followers of Jesus Christ, you are rewarded. For God is watching. Really believing this makes it possible for us to do good to enemies. The reward cycle is still there. Jesus goes on in verse 28, bless those who who curse you. That's the golden rule applied to your mouth, to the words that you say and the way that you say it. We use the word grace a lot around churches. Grace means unmerited favor. We need to add grace to our conversations. Not the word grace, what I'll call the accent of grace. You know, you can tell where a person is from by their accent in different regions of our country and by some unique terms that different regions use. We've moved a lot. In my life, I've, I've, I've moved a lot around the country. For three years, I lived right outside Boston, Massachusetts. And New England has a unique accent and some unique terms. For instance, if I said to you out in the hall, there's a bubbler, would you know what I was talking about? The word is bubbler, but they say bubbla. A bubbler is a water fountain. Or if you go into a restaurant and you order tonic, in New England, you're ordering a soda. In a sub-sandwich shop, you'd order a grinder, but you'd say it, grinder. Or if you wanted uh, sugar sprinkles on your ice cream, you'd call them jimmies. These are words that identify you as coming from New England. Just like if you travel anywhere else in the nation and you say that something is hecka big, they know you came from Northern California. <laughs> Never heard that word before I came here. 
These things carry the identification. They carry the accent, if you will, in our speech. We should have the accent of grace. In the words we use, in the tones that we choose, people should hear. We come from a place, spiritually, of love. We come from a place of patience. We come from a place of willingness to listen. That's how the accent of grace comes through. Asking questions about someone else and showing interest in their lives and actually listening to their responses. Grace conversations give people more than they expect and probably more than they deserve. But that's living out the golden rule with our mouth. And then Jesus continues. He says in verse 28, pray blessings, not curses on them. Kindness continues into the way that we pray. When we're at odds with someone, usually the way that we pray is what I'll call go get them God prayers. You know, God let them have it. And maybe something needs to change in that person's life. But as we pray for that, we must pray for their best blessing, for God's will to be done. In verse 29, he continues with this radical new way to live, and he says, If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. It means stay vulnerable. These are the kinds of statements that have driven people either to frustration on one hand with Jesus because it seems so hard, or legalism on the other hand because it seems like he's making a list of rules, but he's not. What he's... What he's Describing is the kind of actions that a golden rule thinker will take. Turn to him the other cheek, and if he asks for your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Remember, these are illustrations. In reality, the cloak was the outer garment. The tunic was underwear. Now, I don't think that what Jesus is asking us to do, literally, is to strip down naked in the road and give somebody everything that we're wearing. I don't think that's what he's literally saying. But he's saying, be vulnerable. Be generous. Don't live a walled-off, self-protective life that aggressively asserts your rights, that only thinks about excuses for why you should not help other people but rather think about why you should help other people. Self-protection and retaliation only escalates bad relationships. Stay vulnerable. Be willing to share. And that shows up again in the next verse, verse 30. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. You see, difficulty with people in relationships has a way of shriveling our soul. We, we tend to circle the wagons. We tend to get protective and, and start to guard, just guard everything that we already have and close in on ourselves. And, and Jesus is saying, don't do that. Go to the other direction and be a person who shares. Because as you share, you're able to see their needs. Put yourself in their shoes. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's the essence of the golden rule. When we ask ourselves, if I was in their place, what would I want people to do for me? And that's what we do. I read a true story about an elder in a church very much like ours. And like our church, the elders would go out into the foyer, and as people were coming in on Sunday morning, they'd greet them and welcome them and so forth. 
And the elder met one particular Sunday morning a young family who were visiting the church for the very first time. It was a husband and wife and two very small baby boys, just kind of toddler age boys. And they came in, they greet, greeted them and got them, you know, said hello and so forth and so on. And the, and the service went on. Didn't think anything about it again until late that night. He was already in bed. The elder was in bed, you know, getting, getting sleepy, settling down for the night when the phone rang. And it's this guy, this young father that he met that very morning. And he said, you know, I, I hate to ask this, but, but, you know, we're stranded. We ran out of gas about a half a mile out of town. And I have my two babies in the car along with my wife here. We're on the side of the road. And I don't know what to do. Yours was the only name that I could remember from the service this morning when we visited. The elder says, my very first thought was, you mean to tell me you couldn't remember the pastor's name? But his was the only name that he could remember. He said, could you, could you bring me some gas so we could get going? And he was, oh, man, he's already in bed, you know, inside. He's complaining about the inconvenience and so forth. But he remembered that he had a gas can down in his garage, and so he said he would be, he'd meet him there. He brought that gas can out, poured it into his tank, and he, the family was able to get to where they were going. And this elder never thought about that again for three years. Three years later, it turns out that that family, that young family, were now active and uh, growing Christians in the church. The church had multiple services, and they didn't really circle in the, in the relation circles of, the, of this particular elder. He didn't really know them. But one day, the father of that family came to him again, three years later now, and he says this, I just wanted you to know that I never forgot about how you rescued us that night. I want you to know that at the time, I was disillusioned with the church. I was critical of Christians. But you coming to help us was the beginning of me seeing that Christians really do care and Christ is real. The elder was embarrassed about his attitudes, but thank goodness for his actions. You never know how what you're doing is going to make a difference for someone. And it's all about who we are on the inside in our relationship with God. Doing nice things sporadically when the mood hits you, that can happen out of just human charity or guilt. But to live a Christ-like way, to say, I am going to work to think the thoughts of value to others and take the actions, that's impossible as a lifestyle without God being in your heart and your life. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And here's his answer. Love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater command than these. I want you to see that the order of those commandments is important. Loving your neighbor starts by loving God. Living out the golden rule does not begin as an act of charity to your neighbor. It begins by reaching up to God and feeling and knowing and experiencing the grace and trusting that he will satisfy and that his love will never run dry for you so you can give it away to others. That's what we're called to do. And that is an outrageous truth. There is power in the golden rule. 
Would you stand with me for a closing prayer today? Maybe you're here today and you, you have difficulty living the way we're describing, but you want help. You want somebody to partner with you in a specific area of your life and prayer. Right here by the organ, we have prayer counselors who will meet with you. Maybe the issue in your life is you need to meet the Savior and feel the touch of his grace. You come. They'd be happy to introduce you. But first, let's pray. Lord, you call us to a different standard of living. You call us to live out outrageous truths. And Lord, we pray that we're able to do just that. If there are those in this room today who are at odds with others, we pray, Lord, that we would be the peacemakers, that we would be the ones crossing the bridge of forgiveness and grace and mercy. And as a lifestyle, Lord, help us to live as you would have us to live, demonstrating acts of kindness. Dismiss us with your blessing and use us in ways that give you glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.